0: What's going on, everyone? Hope you all are doing fantastic today. Thanks for stopping by for another episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber. Today, I have an awesome guest. His name is Marty Bent. You may or may not know him as a co-host of the Tales from the Crypt podcast. If you haven't ever listened to the Tales from the Crypt, you might want to consider checking that out after you listen to what Marty has to say. Marty is a super smart guy, and I really enjoyed doing this interview with him. It's something I've been looking forward to for a while. I've always wanted to talk with him. I think he's a really down-to-earth guy, and he has a really awesome awesome perspective on Bitcoin. By the way, if you want to find out more about the Bitcoin Echo Chamber, you can come check us out at our website, bitcoinechochamber.com. You can find all of our episodes there, as well as all of the places where we're listed on different podcast catchers. If you want to be able to listen to us on the go, in the car, or while you're working out or whatever like that, you can just go to bitcoinechochamber.com, and chances are we're on whatever podcast service it is that you like to use. In addition, if you'd like to support the show, Bitcoin Echo Chamber is a great place to do that. Otherwise please give us five stars or some sort of rating on whatever podcast service it is that you're listening to us on. All those things really, really help us out. Anyways, guys, as always, thanks for listening. And I will talk to you again at the end. This episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber podcast is sponsored by WTF happened in 1971.com. The economics meme taking the world by storm where all of us are trying to find out the answer to what the heck happened in 1971. WTF 1971 also has a merch store now. You can find it at WTF-1971.creator-spring.com I'll post a link to that down in the show notes if you want to check it out. Thanks for the support. How are you doing today, Marty?
1: Doing good. It's a beautiful Friday, a little hungover. I uh, had to... Uh, oh, I had to. I had the pleasure of going to, to dinner last night to, um, to, to take a bed home. Murad, Mamadav, and, and I won a bet against Matt O'Dell, uh, where the price would be January 1st of this year. Uh, I was bearish with Murad, and I'm lucky that I was, because we were treated to a beautiful steak dinner last night, and I uh, actually had my brother in town as well, so I met up with him and his buddies after, and I uh, stayed down a little too late, but getting through it.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I, I heard the recording with you guys talking to Murad. It got a little heated there, uh, but it, I, all in all, in good conversation obviously but it got a little tense
1: yes yeah, as, as things do with Murad. um he's a very smart man and he thinks about the space uh in a way that a lot of people don't and uh particularly uh bitcoin maximalists get um perturbed about uh sometimes but um i think uh i'm a big believer in competition and anybody's allowed to do what they want and uh Things may get tense, but I think it's all uh, all for the for the good of of everybody uh, in the long run.
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I I definitely agree with you. I think Murad is a, a really sharp guy. Um, I I totally disagreed with a lot of the conclusions he was making though in that episode that I listened to last night. If you guys are listening to this right now and you don't know if you don't already follow Tales from the Crypt, um, that's Marty's podcast. Go check out Tales from the Crypt right now and listen to the episode in question after you're done listening to this one, of course, uh, where they speak with Must Stop Murad. Uh, he, he, he lays out an interesting case for Bitcoin. And, in fact, one of my favorite podcasts ever is uh, when he w- went on Pompliano's podcast and just laid out the, the bullish case for Bitcoin, basically. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what happened to that Murad. I want to see more of that Murad. <laughs>
1: I believe that Marad still exists. He's in there somewhere. I don't and I think, uh, no, again, like I'm a big believer in, in pun intended, hashing everything out and exploring uh, every, every option and possibility that exists. And I don't think we should be knocking people who, who think a certain way. Uh, I'm a big believer in just let people think the way they want to. And the market will, will prove them right or wrong in the long term. So, um,
0: And if not, you might get a steak dinner out of it.
1: Exactly, exactly. So we made another bet last night, and this time I'm betting with Matt against Murad about where the price will be in August of this year.
0: Um, And so in the recording, you guys were trying to hammer out the terms of that. Did you ever finalize that? Uh,
1: We were talking about uh, a trip. We haven't haven't finalized anything yet. Uh, Stakes are getting high. I don't know how comfortable I am with this. I hope these bets don't, uh, don't cascade into to some crazy uh, h- high-stake bets in the future. Um, but I think uh, the, first, the first thought for, for the next bet is a trip paid by, uh, paid by the losers.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Well, we'll stay tuned on that. I'm sure that we're all eagerly awaiting the results.
1: <laughs> Find out August 1st. Uh, yeah. I believe the price has to be... A- higher than $3,421 for, for me to be a winner. I'm confident, confident.
0: So, uh, give us a little background on like tales from the crypt. Like what, what exactly made you want to start doing that? And, and also if you could get into how, you know, Matt.
1: Yeah. Um, so the story of tales from the crypt really starts at Marty's bent, the newsletter that I write, uh, every day, uh, every weekday. Um, and that started in June, early June of 2017 and basically at that point uh, was right when the, the Bitcoin markets were ramping up and I had been known to my group of family and friends for years as the Bitcoin guy. Um, so I was getting a lot of texts and emails and people walking up to me in person asking what to do and it got a little overwhelming. Uh, at the same time I was between jobs and really trying to figure out what to do with my life and felt a need to sort of produce something and make something. and Uh, the, uh, I had a serendipitous moment, uh, my birthday that year, my parents are down and my dad recommended I start teaching people about Bitcoin, uh, via newsletter. And I was like, oh, that's actually a pretty good idea. So I started the bent and just thinking, Hey, family and friends, if you guys want to learn about Bitcoin, I'm not going to speak to you all individually. I'll write this letter to teach you a little bit every day about it. Um, and that's how, that's how I'll, I'll teach you guys about Bitcoin. So the list started out with like 10 to 15 people. I started sharing the list on Twitter and or excuse me, the newsletter on Twitter and uh, people liked it and sort of took on a life of its own. And later that summer in July, I had uh, another serendipitous moment where I uh, had the chance to meet up with a couple of the guys from Barstool Sports who were into crypto. I saw them tweeting about it and sort of slid into their DMs. It's like, yeah, we should meet up. Probably shouldn't be pumping uh, cryptocurrency investments to stoolies like let's. Let's just have a conversation. Talk about the space, and after an hour sitting at a bar talking to uh, Lewis Roberts, who was uh, who was my in at the time there, um, he he was the one who sort of convinced me about starting a podcast. Uh, and it was actually something that people were reading the newsletter were like, we want more. Uh, how to like what else can you do? And it sort of just naturally occurred after the conversation with Lewis that a podcast would be probably the next step. For uh, this mission I'm on, which is to try to make Bitcoin and this whole space more approachable to to the average man in particular. Um, so yeah, Tales from the Crypt started at Barstool Sports. Not it was never a, an official Barstool podcast. I was just lucky enough to work there and use their studios off hours. And yeah, so the and the podcast first started. The first two episodes we did were the history of Bitcoin, basically trying to get people caught up with how Bitcoin had gotten to where it was in uh I believe the first episode was September of or now it was October two thousand seventeen. Um two thousand seventeen yeah, it was. It's crazy I think it's already been almost it's been a year and a half. Um yeah, and then from there I was lucky enough to get some strong guests first in uh Pierre Rochard and Santiago Siri and then it sort of took on a life of its own from there and so now I'm just uh trying to find good people to interview and people that I find uh, interesting in particular. Uh, And then uh, I really like to do the podcast in person. So the interviews are becoming a little bit more uh, spread out. And uh, so when I noticed that the interviews were slowing down, people still want it more people uh, were hopping in my DMs asking for a weekly show and I had recorded an episode with Matt uh, knew he was living here in New York and obviously he knows a lot about the space and approached him basically like, Hey, thinking about doing a weekly show, call it the rabbit hole recap I actually think matt came up with rabbit hole recap um and yeah so we started that in september and i think we published episode 22 of the rabbit hole recap last night um but yeah it's been a really natural iterative process uh, just sort of feeling what everybody wants and what, what people are responding to
0: that is definitely, uh, the rabbit hole recap is one of my favorite parts of the week every time that comes out and I listen to it. But actually, recently, I found Tales of the Crypt before your newsletter, and re- I'm a recent uh, Marty Bent subscriber. Uh, and I have to say, man, I- I'm really a fan, mostly because you have that, uh, I don't know how you would describe it, but it's the the nihilist millennial view of where you don't take yourself too seriously and you're kind of just like, all right, people, like, this is what's going on. Yeah.
1: again that's i mean so again trying to bring like a certain voice an approachable voice i don't know if the nihilism is as approachable as i may i may think it is but um i don't think i'm i don't think i'm a nihilist either i think i just try to try to bring certain themes to light via humor and sometimes it's dark humor yeah
0: um well so you have a background in finance though right
1: Yes, I, uh, so I studied economics in college, and then my junior year started working for a managed futures fund in Chicago, and uh, so the junior, senior year, worked there basically full-time, took night classes, and then uh, worked there for, for a year after college before, before departing the world of finance. And
0: so I, I think that there's sort of like, at least, well, I'm speaking from my own experience here, and I, I've never worked in finance, but I've studied it a lot as just sort of a sidelines kind of guy, just watching and, and waiting. And before I discovered Bitcoin, I felt like finance in and of itself was kind of a depressing place. Once you understand the dirty secrets of what's really going on behind the scenes, you're kind of just like, wow, this is, this is kind of a messed up world. <laughs> and Bitcoin's like the lifeline. So I feel like the bent is sort of like, um, and I'm projecting a little bit here, but it's like, okay, this guy who was just a complete loss for the way the world worked found this great thing and uh, it's, it's, it's like a ray of hope.
1: <laughs> no, it really is. I mean, I've told this story many times on Tales from the Crypt. Like, again, this is all very serendipitous. Serendipitous is the word of the podcast, I guess. But, um, yeah, I was a senior in high school in the fall of 2008. The world was going to shit. I just so happened to be taking uh, an elective economics class uh, that quarter and we had a very astute teacher who was on top of what was going on with the bailouts and TARP in particular. It was actually TARP in particular that really lit a fire under my ass because we, we combed through that bill, and there was just so much people were calling like pork in it. And you had senators from Kansas sneaking in clauses about how sharp arrows could be uh, at a time when the country was, quote-unquote, melting down, and, and we really needed to come together. You saw sort of the insidiousness of, of the process and the system from which all this evolved. Um so the seventeen year old I was sitting there like this is all fucked up and uh sort of went to a college, went to college with a know your enemy mentality. And luckily when I was uh again more serendipity studying money and banking, writing paper on monetary policy and just literally Googling like cool monetary policies and <laughs> somehow stumbled into Bitcoin that way and, and was like, holy shit, this is uh completely different than anything I've, I've ever seen up to this point. And, um, so slowly over time, I started diving further and further into it and I've gotten to a point where I truly do believe that Bitcoin if successful in um, its endeavor it can really be a very good thing in the world and, and, and provides a common mission to build a, a better future.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I had kind of a similar experience, but Mine started with uh, Ron Paul's and the Fed the book because like before that I didn't really know anything about what the Federal Reserve was. I mean I knew it existed, but I didn't know anything um, and then from there I kind of just read books that he had in the footnotes of and the Fed and that led me to like the creature from Jekyll Island and then that led me down the Austrian economics rabbit hole and that's actually how I found Bitcoin was through Austrian economics. It was it wasn't the other way around like it is for most people surprisingly um, I, I first heard about bitcoin on reddit like years and years ago and thought it was just some silly internet fad
1: yeah no it's um it's crazy because like i've talked about this with stefan lavera uh when i was on his podcast a couple of weeks ago but, uh, like i didn't realize until i got out of college or found bitcoin like my senior year that excuse me um the university system does not teach you these different schools of thoughts like we were we were Hammered on uh, neo-Keynesianism in, in sort of the the modern monetary theory uh, school of belief, and really weren't given like a full spectrum. I really weren't introduced to many Austrian uh, theories, if any at all. Um, so that really woke me up too. Like towards the end of my college career, I was like How, why the hell aren't we learning about this stuff? Like if you're supposed to master a subject, you should at least uh, understand the whole spectrum of the different schools of thoughts and. Um, I don't want to say there's a concerted effort to to uh, suppress these ideas and these schools of thought, but it, 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 was, it is odd thinking back uh, uh, as somebody who was supposed to study and master economics and, and wasn't even given the opportunity to learn about the whole spectrum of, of the study.
0: Yeah, that's really unfortunate. And as like myself, I've actually considered uh, going for a master's in applied economics, but I, I have so many reservations about it because it's I don't want to go it. Through, through the brainwash ringer. <laughs>
1: Yeah, spend your money yeah. on Bitcoin. Yeah, Bitcoin and, and
0: books. Yeah.
1: Um, don't buy the books either. The books are free online. You can find the books for free anywhere. I, I'm, why...
0: I'm old-fashioned. You know, I like to be able to like <laughs> hold it in my hands and turn it. But I buy them used, you know, like on, yeah. on Amazon. Yeah, I'll, well, I'm
1: speaking to, to you college-age freaks out there who may be in college and, and maybe think that you're... F- that you are being forced to buy $500 books. You don't need to buy those books. You'll be able to find them pretty easily. If you're a struggling college student, stay away from the books.
0: Yeah, my my advice for anybody that's aspiring to go to college is only go if you have to for a degree or for like a career that you're already planning to do. And it's a requirement in that career to already have the degree in that field. Or, if you can go free of charge for whatever reason and you're not paying out of pocket, those are the only two circumstances where I think it's acceptable to still go to college anymore. yeah, man, it's getting crazy like uh
1: so the fact that I worked in junior senior year, like a lot of I missed a lot of class like trying to get to the office and, and show good faith, so a lot of my my learning on the side was via Khan Academy, and I was able to teach myself a lot of very very not complex but like I was able to, to ace test by teaching myself the 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 material via Khan Academy like having to go to the classroom actually it wasn't necessary I just knew the syllabus and if it was a money and banking class uh Khan Academy actually has a very very good sort of course on on macroeconomics and stuff like that so that's how I, I basically taught myself the syllabus
0: um for a lot of classes that's awesome. Yeah, have you heard about that uh, that coding school? I forget I forget what their name is where they basically will front you um, to go through their course and then they'll charge you a percentage of your income after you graduate. I forget I, do you, do you know what I'm you talking know, about?
1: Lambda school. Lambda.
0: That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that that model is going to hopefully eventually disrupt and replace the traditional model.
1: Yeah, something like something like that or um, something like I was just describing like Khan Academy like reversing the ca- classroom MOOCs um, at a very affordable price like the uh, education needs to be disrupted I would argue um, and I, it is being disrupted but it's uh, people uh, are sort of stuck in this anarchism of the industrial age thinking that to get a quality and inf- education you need to show up and be lectured to um, slowly but surely people are realizing that, that this isn't the the best way best way to do this in the modern age but um I'm, I'm optimistic that things will get better for for education in the future uh, just because of all the tools out there that exist and that are coming and even with the bitcoin space like seeing justin moon's build buildable boot camp uh like lightning residencies stuff like that just sort of quick sprint classes that that uh, are relatively cheap and and you get a lot of bang for your buck like for instance when I quit finance, I did a 12-week digital design bootcamp. I was lucky to get in early. It was only two thousand bucks, but it was two thousand dollars, and I learned more in 12 weeks than I did in four years of college. Um, and it was just because it was a very immersive sort of way of of learning UX design and learning a new subject in general. Um, so that that sort of model of of uh, multi-week sprints to sort of get a, a base knowledge of something and then and then uh move on from there. I think makes a lot of sense, and I had a lot of fun uh, uh participating in that type of environment.
0: That's cool, yeah, yeah i I took Justin moon's biddle boot camp uh that was that was a great experience. I really enjoyed that i I think that that model, I think you're right, I think it's going to be the future.
1: yeah, did you learn anything?
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah, that was awesome i mean i'm I'm not like a very good programmer <laughs> for lack of a better way to describe. I I, I don't, I don't like, I'm probably between beginner and intermediate, probably closer to beginner than intermediate. So there was a lot of Justin Moon's course that went over my head, but all in all, it was a pretty awesome experience.
1: Yeah. I'm a very shitty coder. Yeah, But uh, yeah, I can, I can make you a shitty website. That's about it.
0: Oh, good. Yeah, that's perfect. There's a market for that. (laughs) So you you mentioned lightning. Let's talk Mm -hmm. about lightning. Let's talk about lightning! So, Casa and I know because I saw you tweeted about this earlier today. They just released this new browser extension. Mm-hmm. What do you think?
1: Like it a lot. Um, I I don't want to sound like I'm patting myself on the back here, but I I do want to I do want to um, I do want to say I'm happy I introduced Willow Byrne and Jeremy Welch. Uh, Willow Byrne created the the Jewel extension, and Jeremy Kasa is the CEO. of Casa. Actually, after I saw Will's uh, Jewel extension demo at BitDev's NYC a few months ago, I was like the first person I thought of was Jeremy and Casa. So I I uh, introduced those two via DMs and said you need to talk. And it's crazy that was probably three months ago that Casa already has this extension turned around. So for you guys that don't know what we're talking about, Casa um, today released a browser extension that allows you to interact with your Casa node right in the browser. Um, I was Messing around with it right before we started recording, sending invoices, and it's crazy how how simple and easy it is. Like the UX is is getting better every day, and I think we are about to hit a tipping point where people realize that holy shit, there's stuff that you can build on this is vast and insanely intricate, and will disrupt a lot of uh, online monetization uh, sort of models. I believe at least. I mean, the simplicity with which you could pay uh, uh, an invoice that's worth fractions of a penny is is insane
0: yeah i think lightning right now is the dirty little secret that nobody is talking about except for bitcoiners who already were excited about it but everyone else is kind of just like lost in the fog of the bear market not really paying attention to what's going on they don't know how world-changing lightning is
1: yeah and and with that being said it's should say this with a grain of salt like it's still experimental it's still reckless to play on lightning but it is um it is insane how how much innovation is being driven there uh and i think they've made a big uh they just made a big merge earlier this week that's gonna uh really help with with um with dual channel actually i i can't speak to the to the exact implementation but it seems like the the lightning devs are are seeing the activity on the network and iterating pretty quickly, which is great to see um, because we aren't able to do that at the protocol level. So seeing these developers being able to react in real time to how the protocol and the, the system above the Bitcoin protocol level is working uh, is awesome because you're just able to build things faster and fix things faster and, and move faster, which, which I think is, is important, uh, especially in today's day and age where I think I do truly believe, again, that Bitcoin uh, is essential for, for an optimistic future, or at least something something like it.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think that this is actually where I disagree with Murad, because I think that Bitcoin kind of already has its sound money, um, the, the libertarian former gold bugs turned into Bitcoiners. And I think that lightning is going to be such a big paradigm shift in the way that we do finance, it's and the way that we use the internet, that it's going to bring a whole new camp of people into Bitcoin that don't even care about sound money. Like, the, I think that the disinflationary aspect of Bitcoin is going to be a completely separate thing that people aren't even going to think about because Lightning, the paradigm shift, is going to be so big. It's going to be like the paradigm shift we had from, like, the early 90s up until the 2000s with the internets and smartphone and everything.
1: Yeah, I mean, the one thing Murad did say, like, bullish on Lightning, is like, Lightning's going to be the next internet. he believes and like the the innovation that it's going to enable uh on top of bitcoin and uh is is literally going to incite a, a mad dash like like the dot-com era did uh in innovation and, and tools that are built um it's crazy like seeing the uh, blockstream satellite api and people from random post-soviet countries sending messages to space and doing that in a censorship resistant fashion uh uh, skirting around internet service providers is crazy um, and lightning we wouldn't be able to do that without lightning um, so uh, it. I think it's going to be I think it's going to surprise a lot of people I think by the end of 2019 a lot of people were like holy shit we didn't see any of this coming
0: definitely I definitely agree with that and there's a lot of like this proof of concept stuff that's going on, like the light, uh, the Blockstream satellite, like you said, like being used to route secure messages with lightning payments. But this, what's really caught my attention and sort of imagination is this, this passing of the torch that everyone's talking about right now, the the lightning torch. Can you share anything about that?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm waiting to have it handed to me. I just reached out to the person who has it. Um, so the lightning torch, I actually i'm just catching up on what it is but what it just seems like is people proving how cheap fast and easy lightning is to use by passing on a proverbial torch on the network uh which is basically uh represented by invoices that you send to the person holding the torch Uh, and if they decide you're trustworthy enough they'll pay that invoice and now you hold the torch and then i have to go look for somebody uh that i trust that i can pass the torch to um so it seems like a cool. Co- it's just like fun to be a part of. It's uh, it's definitely. Uh, I don't want to say like a marketing scheme, but it's definitely a good little viral fun thing to do to sort of show that that lightning works and uh, that it's it works as advertised and, and produces or excuse me, has produced uh, sort of the friction frictionless, very cheap payment system that that we envision Bitcoin would become eventually.
0: well well, i'll be interested to see if the torch actually grows over time like if it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and if there will be like a point of no return where the person who receives the torch decides it's worth sacrificing their uh public persona just to keep the torch however much money it is at the time yeah well somebody
1: did that yesterday edward underscore btc tried to hold the torch hostage from what i can tell um people yelled at him no it is crazy i was like ah. I had to send an invoice for, for like $90. Uh, that's how big the torch is right now.
0: That's, you want to talk about social suicide, you just uh, extinguish the torch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right? There's a lot of ways to do social suicide in the, in the cryptosphere. Reputation is a, it's a long-term game. It's a, it's a word of advice I'd give to your listeners.
0: Yeah, so let's shift gears a little bit here. A lot of people seem to think, or at least I get this the most with like People who are into Litecoin, for example, they think that Lightning is going to be their saving grace. Like, they think that, well, I mean, Lightning is being built for Bitcoin. And if it works with Bitcoin, it's going to work with Litecoin. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, it's like uninteresting to me. I don't know. I don't know what the logic is behind that. But, I mean, people talk about cross-chain atomic swaps, which is pretty interesting. But I'm a big believer. I got something in my mouth here. I'm a big believer. um, And like, if we can do it on Bitcoin, like, why do do you even need like atomic swaps and stuff like that? Uh, And and let me preface this with I'm not an expert on Lightning and how all this stuff works and uh, the touted use cases that people that uh, pump atomic uh, swaps talk about. But uh, just from like, I'm a big keep it simple, stupid guy. And it just doesn't make that much sense to me if you can use uh, Bitcoin on the Lightning network as fuel for these these apps or whatever people are looking to build. I don't, I don't see the reason for, for another coin. Uh, I don't see any, ugh, I don't see a reason to use uh lightning network for another protocol, but that's just me. I am dumb. Uh, I would also like to, to let your, your listeners and your, uh, your fans know that I'm a dunce. That's, that's sort of the, the, the angle I come from is like, I'm just a regular dude learning about all this stuff with you guys. And here's what I saw. Uh, especially with the bent, that's sort of the angle I have. Um but yeah, just off the bat, like I don't I don't understand how just implementing Lightning will save these protocols. It seems like uh everybody's like, uh any any new feature, new coin ads, like Bitcoin will add eventually, but it seems like everybody's trying to catch up to Bitcoin now, Lightning in particular.
0: Yeah. No, I, I'm totally with you there and I, I don't think you're a dunce at all. I think that you get this um probably a lot more than a lot of the people out there. I don't. When I see Litecoiners advocating Lightning Network, I'm just kind of like, you guys realize that this is gonna destroy your one and only claim of a use case, right? Yeah, and it's not even a good claim of a use case. No, it's it's not <laughs> at all. The whole silver to Bitcoin's gold meme is is kind of overblown at this point, though. I'm I'm sick of hearing about it.
1: Yeah, and and uh, the way Charlie Lee was able to. To manipulate his position as CTO at Coinbase to get Litecoin listed is a very uh, under-talked about theme yeah. in the crypto yeah. space. Charlie is a
0: crafty little ninja. <laughs>
1: he, uh, yeah, I mean, good for him. Made a lot of money, but uh, the moral hazard that existed considering his position, I would argue, uh, is immense, or was immense. He's no longer there. Absolutely.
0: I would. I, I. don't know how true this is, but I also think um, that the network effects of Lightning on Bitcoin aren't going to translate over to Litecoin. Like, for example, I have, like you and I, we both have Casa nodes, right? And we're running Lightning right now, which adds to the network effect. But our nodes don't support Litecoin. So even though Litecoin may technically work with Lightning Network, it's going to be its own separate network. It's not like you can send lightning or litecoin to me through the bitcoin lightning network it's going to have to be its own nodes spun up and i just don't see there being enough support for that to actually take off right just think about like the infrastructure
1: coordination you have to create for that and you you're basically stealing mind share from people working on bitcoin's lightning network or whatever they're working on and trying to to sort of spread that out across multiple protocols it just doesn't seem advantageous to me uh if it works on bitcoin we should be working as hard and as fast as possible especially since we're able to at lightning to to fortify uh the system and the infrastructure being built on top of it i think taking eyes and and mind share a way to to build it for a really a protocol that nobody uses just doesn't make any sense to me
0: yeah i think you could actually make the argument that it's hard enough to get Bitcoiners to run their own full nodes, you know, and are arguably the Bitcoiners are the ones who understand what's going on here the most, like in the cryptocurrency space. So trying to get Litecoiners to run their own nodes and then also run Lightning alongside of it is that's going to be a tall order, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, we just saw that with Ethereum Classic a month ago, a few weeks ago, whenever they had their Eclipse slash Reorg attack. We don't even know. I don't even know for certain what it is because there wasn't enough people running nodes to figure it out. Um yeah so like these problems do exist. like I'm happy you brought that up. Like full node operators, I would argue, are, are very important to, to the health of the system and the, the prolonged uh, journey to, to reach full decentralization. And what you're seeing is that like a lot of the times bitcoiners are, are the only ones willing to to put some skin in the game, buy, buy some hardware, download the software onto their own hardware and, and, and really contribute to consensus. I mean, obviously there's people running nodes for other protocols but i would say it it pales in comparison to to the amount of dedication that bitcoiners have in particular
0: yeah yeah that's definitely true yeah and even with it like I, i i find it disturbing you know the lack of a care about about these principles of decentralization in pretty much any other community besides bitcoin and cryptocurrency which sort of lends me to think that it's just a lack of understanding more than anything else. They just don't understand, like, the technical implications of what's going on here. Like, Ethereum, I think, is the best, biggest example, you know, where you have all of these, I would say, pretty smart people coming in and working on Ethereum because they think it's the, the, the world computer. And, you know, I, I tweeted out uh, yesterday, or I th- it was either yesterday or early this morning, um, Ethereum adding cup holders and window tint to your car with a broken engine block. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I would say I don't think these people are smart as pe- uh, I don't think like the
1: Ethereum devs are as smart as people make them out to be. I think they can spit some good techno babble at you, but at the end of the day, smart people produce good products, and they have not followed up on anything that they marketed Ethereum would become. And now they're literally abandoning uh, Ethereum and building a new, completely new chain uh, that they plan to roll out over the course of ten years. Uh, it, it, again, a lot of people like to paint Vitalik and crew as a sort of brainchild and is his smart minions building the world computer. But I honestly just, I don't think they're they're that smart.
0: Sorry. I mean, I think it's, it's natural too. like the first time you listen to Vitalik talk, you're kind of like, Oh wow. This guy's, this guy's smart. This guy's like invent a time machine smart. Like, Oh, did he tell you about the quantum computer? Did he tell him about the quantum computer he wanted to build?
1: Yeah, so before Vitalik was pitching Ethereum, he was pitching a quantum computer uh project that, that he claimed uh had made significant uh advances in the quantum computing uh realm. Uh I'm pretty sure the claims turned out to be false and he never wound up like running the project, but uh yeah, he was pushing a quantum computing project like right before he launched Ethereum.
0: And and that was basically a scam, right? I mean it didn't I, I don't know much about it, but from what I've heard, it was not really legit.
1: I mean, I, I haven't heard of quantum computing that exists yet, so if he was promising it, it sounds
0: like a scam. Well, someone told me that, that the Air Force, the, U, the U.S. Air Force, has perfected quantum computing and will be rolling it out within the next year, so we'll see. Well,
1: Satoshi's coins will be the first thing to be attacked, if this is true.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and that brings up an interesting point. Like, What, what do you think about... I don't, I don't want to delve too deep down the Satoshi rabbit hole because that horse has been beat to death. Um, but do you think Satoshi's coins will ever move?
1: No. I bet Satoshi burned his keys. He, she, the, they, it. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, we can't say with any certainty, but, uh, and this is pure belief. There's no facts behind this because it's really impossible to find the facts unless he reveals, he reveals himself. But, uh, I think Satoshi was wise enough to to sort of take himself out of the equation and knows that moving those coins uh, would sort of disrupt the system at this point. Uh, I I like to think that Satoshi burnt the keys of the wallets that we believe he uh, had possession of and then started mining uh, under a real name or something like that and was able to
0: participate in this. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I I think that the entity that was Satoshi Nakamoto, not the person, but the entity is dead. Yes. In, in, all sense of, in all sense of the word. Like his, his Bitcoin, his, his persona, he's dead. The, the human being behind it probably is still alive, but.
1: I don't know. Maybe it was Hal. But we're going to bring back Hal. So maybe it learn. was Craig Wright. Oh, God. Maybe. Maybe. Um, he can't prove it with the private key signature, so uh, I'm doubtful.
0: Sounds like you're just mad that he blocked you.
1: <laughs> I don't know if he blocked me yet. I don't, I don't really jump into the fray with, with the B-cashers. It's not worth it. People wasted way too many, too much time uh, paying any credence to, to the, that band of idiots.
0: Yes, I agree completely. I, that, that debate has been won so many times over, it's not even funny at this point. Um, but and, and in that vein, um, I was actually last night, I was talking to uh, Richard. Um, you interviewed him not too long ago, Bitcoin Tina. Rick Flex, baby. Love talking to that guy, man. Uh, We we spoke for a while last night, and he brought up the point that uh, you know a lot of people that are new to cryptocurrency are under the mistaken impression that Bitcoin was the first. You know that it was like the first iteration in these series of cryptocurrencies, but it was like no, it was just the first one that worked. People have been trying to do this since like the late seventies, early eighties.
1: Yeah, um, I think I wrote about it last week. Adam Back actually did a good like historical thread on the history of digital cash projects before Bitcoin and sort of the the shortfalls they had and the hurdles they had to overcome and basically explain that like the biggest issue they had was figuring out and inf- supply inflation control without uh having a central issuer sort of uh pull the levers of of the supply uh schedule um and satoshi uh beautifully uh Create a bitcoin and, and the magic ingredient of bitcoin is proof of work with a difficulty adjustment and the difficulty adjustment in particular is an incredibly beautiful uh beautifully designed system because it does help uh sort of make sure that blocks come in every 10 minutes and bitcoins are being uh dispersed to the market uh at a sort of steady fair pace um and that's sort of the innovation that a lot of I think there was five or six uh, digital currencies that came before Bitcoin, couldn't figure out, and, Bit- and Satoshi sort of uh, found that magic ingredient.
0: Yeah, I think it really adds a lot of perspective to the Bitcoin is MySpace meme.
1: Yeah, yeah. And a lot of perspective to like proof of stake is viable. Uh, proof of, like, way dies, be money, was a proof of stake concept and was never implemented because, I believe, because they just realized that it, 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 stakeholders would have too much undue influence over the system.
0: I'm thoroughly unimpressed by proof of stake and any of the proposals of its proponents. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's
1: something that's been talked about since 2012. It's been coming next year for the last seven years. Um, so yeah, I, again, like that's the other beauty of Bitcoin. Like it works and it works now. Like it, it produces blocks roughly every 10 minutes then enable censorship, resistant distributed transactions. Um, it works, and it, it's not as efficient as we'd like it to be. It's not as fungible as we'd like it to be. Uh, it, it's not as big as we'd like it to be yet, but it does do what it marketed it would do in the white paper. Um, and I think that's like a hard for a lot of people to come to grips with. Uh, they they may not like the way Bitcoin works, but it does work.
0: It definitely works. It definitely works. I I can attest to the fact that it works. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's um yeah, so proof of stake, I'm not holding my breath uh at least not anymore. more these are and but with that being said, like I was a proof of stake believer at one point, too. It's a long journey you have to take to sort of come to re- these realizations uh and uh i don't I don't want to say I hate to admit it, but you the 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 best way to learn is to learn hard lessons by losing money which uh which happened which happened to me
0: okay, so can you can you place. elaborate on that like? When, were you a shitcoiner when you first started out with all this?
1: I mean, I wasn't, like, pumping shitcoins, but... Um,
0: you didn't have, like, a Marty coin or anything?
1: No, no. But I did, like, come into the system. I was, like, come into the space, like, found Bitcoin. I was, like, oh, this is really cool. And then immediately fell for the siren calls of the alts. Like, hey, Bitcoin's my space. We're going we're gonna to improve on it right? with uh, this multi-algo mining uh, setup, proof of stake combo proof of work, proof of stake, go through any iterations of the buzzwords that can be combined. I fell for them all when I first came in. Uh, and then over time after I lost money and uh, lost some Bitcoin and figured that uh, a lot of these projects were blowing smoke up most people's ass that, and sort of found my way back to Bitcoin and realized the, the beauty in its simplicity. Um, that's what a lot of people uh, can't take, that Bitcoin is slow, lumbersome, and, and inefficient in a lot of ways, but that is, there's a lot of beauty in the way that, uh, that Bitcoin is, is sort of uh, slow and cumbersome
0: in some areas. Bitcoin is arguably very elegant, you know, in, in its simplicity. Yeah. Com- compared yeah. to a lot, what a lot of these other projects are trying to do at the protocol level. No, and then, so like, just
1: like, beautifully simplistic, at like a protocol level. And then, like, design wise, Satoshi thought through so many things that i just don't think other people working in the space like would even think through so like i think uh he created base 64 um was it base 64 base
0: 58 um let me check real quick yeah so he
1: created uh, Base58, which is a group of binary to text and schemes to basically create the, the addresses that we use for Bitcoin. And he created this Base58 because he noticed in Base64, uh, if you're creating long strings of addresses that had lowercase L's, uppercase I's, uh, zeros, and capital O's, it would be very confusing from a UX perspective. So Satoshi created Base58 uh, th- with this in mind, so there would be no UX confusion once launched. So these were things that very, very minute details that Satoshi thought through thoroughly before launching Bitcoin. Um, and I, I would argue that uh, a lot of people launching protocols these days uh, probably don't have the the keen eye and thoroughness that Satoshi did.
0: That That's a guy who spent a lot of time experimenting with cryptography right there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like to think through that, that's something I would have never thought of. Um, and luckily he did think about it because Bitcoin arguably probably would not succeeded if that had went through it would be way too confusing uh people would be probably be losing a lot of bitcoin because of the mix up in integers but um luckily he was able to catch that and and fix it from the start
0: yeah i think it's actually pretty remarkable the amount um i mean obviously whoever satoshi was he probably spent a lot of his life thinking about a lot of these concepts that he used to implement bitcoin but there's so many things that i never even thought about in my life you know, until I discovered Bitcoin and until I discovered how well it had been executed in Bitcoin. Like, you know, I, you don't think about things like game theory or about like, I don't know. I hope that one day uh, the world recognizes, you know, the genius that was Satoshi Nakamoto. He wasn't, he wasn't perfect. You know, he didn't, he didn't create a perfect system, but he created something pretty damn impressive.
1: Yeah, nobody's perfect and I think there is a small group of people who do recognize his genius um and that's that's something where uh like the future is here or the fact is here but the rest of the world doesn't know about it. Um over time people will come to, come to realize this, I believe. Uh I think again like you touched on game theory. The game theory is perfect, uh I would argue. Like Bitcoin has uh, contracted out humans to keep it alive and uh, for doing that we humans get get rewarded with with some digital gold uh, and the sort of the dynamics between node operators miners and users and the protocol itself is is again like you said elegant and beautiful
0: yeah and, and to kind of circle back to the uh, You are talking about how when you first came in, you were distracted by all the altcoins because you fell for the, the siren's call, so to speak. I, I had the same thing, and I think a lot of people that come into this space have the same thing. And where I think it's coming from, or one of the places that I, I think it came from for me, um, was through Andreas Antonopoulos. And I love that guy. You know, God bless his soul. But I completely disagree with him when it comes to token economy. You know, I can because re- I can remember him saying at one point in time, oh, yeah, in the future, everybody's going to have a coin. Mom and pop store number 57 are going to have mom and pop coin, you know, and you're going to have to use that coin in order to trade to buy the goods in their store. I'm like that. That's a step backwards from where we want to go.
1: Yeah, it's the exact opposite. I mean, a world built on tokens just makes zero sense. So you go back to a barter economy, basically. Um and yeah, And again, Bitcoin was created to provide a, a political sound money uh, with open access to anybody in the world. And ideally, if Bitcoin does become the reserve currency of the world at some point in the future, it could be 50, 100 years from now, uh, people will be able to go around the world and just spend Bitcoin wherever. They won't have to convert their dollars to yen or dollars to euros or euros to British pound, whatever it may be. Just be able to go around the world and spend your money, uh, which is Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, I think. Like, you, there's why would s- you
1: complicate things with more tokens? It just again it just doesn't make any sense to me.
0: Definitely, I think there's a certain level of irony in somebody who, you know, understands enough economics to look at Bitcoin and say, "Oh, well, this takes away, you know, seniorage rights from nation states. Well, now everybody can just print their own money. Like, why not? we'll just all just make tokens and we'll all just print our own money. It's like, you." you do understand that you're kind of just making things worse.
1: <laughs> yeah, but with that, also that being said, it's like, uh, there's more nuance to it, right? These are open source technologies and people will naturally want to play around with them and there's nothing we can do about people forking code bases and UTXO sets or whatever it may be and starting their own protocol. I mean, that's the nature of uh, this technology and the open source movement in particular. So, uh, the Scambrian explosion of, of altcoins uh is to be expected i, I feel like we're uh, a species that has gone drunk with a new power that we really don't know uh really don't know what it is yet, so like uh I believe it's like a new hot toy and people are are experimenting with it and uh treating it more like a tech product when it really is probably more of a monetary good uh firstly I would argue um and then yeah, so people naturally just because this is all open source are are gonna do that and it may not stop anytime soon. I think it will stop eventually over time. And then also to take into consideration what I like, uh, what Matt Odell has said in, or not Matt Odell, uh, Bitcoin sign guy, um, said when I had him on last July is that alts sort of provide cover for Bitcoin, uh, with all these protocols and ICOs and, and different platforms and different consensus mechanisms. It's sort of confusing, uh, regulatory agencies that if, they only had to focus on Bitcoin. Uh, maybe may act swifter uh, if they weren't so confused with all the ICOs and all all the other shit going around Bitcoin.
0: I would expect that level of cynical optimism from the Bitcoin sign guy. <laughs> it does seem, you know, you, you brought up a good point uh, that I want to kind of touch on. There, th- I think one of the biggest misconceptions about like the Bitcoin maximalists is that we think that all the other stuff has no right to exist. And by its very nature, like it's our job to we're like crusaders who must destroy the infidels. I think that we would do a better job of like elaborating to people maybe that are new in this space that no, it's not that we don't think they have a right to exist. We just want to call a spade a spade and they're not calling a spade a spade. So it's our job to pick up the slack.
1: No, I agree. I mean, the Mr. Hoddles of the world, the John Carvallos of the world, uh, the hard asses that aren't afraid to call out this shit are very important. Um, but with that being said, uh, I, I just choose not to personally attack the people, uh, pumping this shit because I, I honestly do believe that Bitcoin will win out on merit in the long run. And I don't think, I don't like a lot of people were tweeting at me last night, uh, for not dragging Murad over Decred. Like I, there's just no reason like uh like i believe that bitcoin will prove to have better merit over time i'm not gonna tell him he's not allowed to talk about decred like if if bitcoin is truly better we should be open to these arguments and open to these debates and open to sort of facing these other protocols head-on and saying hey we're just gonna win over time with network effect with mind share with uh uh lindy effect uh with Utility too. I mean, Bitcoin has a lot of utility that that no other, I would argue, most other protocols don't have. Um, I mean, utility in the fact that it's actually being utilized.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I, I think it was Pierre Rochard too who said that. Uh, it, part of the problem with especially trying to be like transparent around like what you support and what you don't is that it's really easy to prove that you do have something but it's impossible to prove that you don't have something so like i can sit here and say i'm a bitcoin maximalist all day long but all you can really do is analyze my principles like check me to make sure that i don't slip up you know but i can't prove to you that i don't own anything other than bitcoin i i don't scout's honor but
1: (laughs) yeah no i mean yeah, it's just the nature of what's going to happen. Again, these are open source protocols. They're really easy to spin up. Exchanges are creating markets f- for them. People love to gamble. It's just, it's inevitable. Um, I don't think it'll go on forever. I think people will eventually learn their lessons. And I, uh, I can't see it going on for more than two cycles going forward. Like if Bitcoin survives two more halvings in particular and a few markets start to develop, I think, and Lightning's bumping, uh, I think people will just be like, there's no reason to even trying to overtake this.
0: Have you put any thought towards the fleet fee market? I know there's been like Nick Carter was tweeting a lot about that. Um, any thoughts from you on that?
1: Nick, don't touch my coins. All right. Don't don't if I if I have coins in cold storage for longer than five years, which I plan on doing, please don't move them. Um, yeah, the fee market. I mean, it's it's a. I mean, I think there's evidence from last year, December last year in particular, that it will develop. Uh, fees got pretty high. I would argue a little too high. Uh, hopefully more Segwit adoption and more efficiencies made uh, at the protocol level will will sort of the fee situation won't get exacerbated as quickly as it did in 2017 in December 2017 um, so I think there's a little bit of evidence that a fee market has developed in the past I believe there's a, a couple blocks where there was more fee reward than there was block reward um, yeah and I, I I think it's it's definitely an interesting topic to sort of Fall down logical thought experiments about, but you really we can't talk about it or know anything about it until till the fucking block reward gets to a point where we need where we need fees, like we won't know until till it happens
0: yeah, I definitely don't like the idea of um, saving lost coins. Yeah. And I'm also not a fan of the dynamic block size ideas. I think that's pretty ridiculous. Uh, no, Cash come, is an come, example of why that's a stupid well, idea. But
1: Yeah, and to come to Nick's defense, I don't, I don't think he was I don't think he honestly believes that. I think he uh, just, again, was thinking out these thought experiments, did it publicly. Uh, again, like crypto Twitter, let's, let's take it down a little bit. Like Everybody's freaking out at each other. Just, like, if people want to think out loud whatever like if they're wrong they're wrong like you don't have to get personal about it
0: yeah it, it, the tensions are high you know right now it's like t- crypto twitter right tensions now tensions aren't is, high
1: people are just bored
0: yeah P- uh, tensions are higher right now than they were like six months ago when everyone was mad about the price dropping now people are just like picking fights because they're salty
1: yeah everybody's bored as fuck there's nothing going on i mean there's stuff going on but price is the thing that makes everything better or exciting uh, especially when it's moving, and, and the volatility arrives, like that's when things get most exciting. we 've been in this range bound path for like the last three or four months, so it's, it's not anything surprising. I mean this stuff happened in late 2014 early or excuse me throughout 2015, early 2016. Um, it was dead, and people were desperate. Bitcoin had died much harder back then than it has this time around. but uh yes, yeah, it's just part of the cycle, at least up to this point. Who knows if it will continue? Uh, this way going forward, but it seems like we're sort of in a very familiar territory uh, from where we were in like 2015,
0: 2016. I can only imagine what people that were in Bitcoin in like 2015, what was going through their minds.
1: People legitimately thought it was going to zero.
0: A lot of people thought it was, I thought it was going to zero a
1: couple of times when it hit like 200, 220. I was worried. I was sweating. Um, A lot of like, People legitimately thought it was going to go to zero last time around, which, which you really don't hear much of uh, this time around, which is another bullish indicator, in my, my
0: opinion. Yeah, I think the only people that you've heard that from at all in this bear market has been the people who already thought Bitcoin was going to zero. You know, like I, mm-hmm. it never crossed my mind in like the last year and a half that I thought, oh shit, Bitcoin's going to zero. Like we're screwed. Yeah,
1: yeah and then like people who got in even earlier, like in 2012, I think it went from like. 1 to 30 then back down to $1 to $30 and then back down to 7 like people imagine what they felt like back then like it was probably even more desperate like when it was smaller uh when it was a smaller network smaller community smaller user base um i think that that fear of going to zero uh, is gone maybe we're we're being a bit complacent but uh it's not it's definitely not as strong as it was the last the last bear market
0: i if ethereum classic hasn't gone to zero yet then If verge <laughs> hasn't gone to zero yet then I don't think Bitcoin will ever go to zero. Like no matter what happens.
1: Yeah. Will these chains ever die? I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean that's and that's like after having Maraud on last night, I like, guess where I can see his, his case for for more pain. It's just like people still have not get it. These things are still standing. Um, but also like market cap as a metric uh, isn't the best. Like these these networks may have like a multi billion dollar market cap, but uh it's a lot of them are illiquid so there there's a lot of slippage and and, and sort of easy manipulation can be had with those market those illiquid shitcoin markets in particular. So I think a lot of the valuations are, are pretty heavily inflated.
0: That's definitely something I think a lot of people are really easily misled by market cap, you know, because they they ter- they are like, oh, well, what's market cap? OK, well, they go to Investopedia and there's like, oh, well, it's uh, circulating supply times price. Oh, well, that makes sense. OK, so uh, that means that 200 billion dollars have come into the Bitcoin market. And uh, it's like, no, that's not what it means at all. Like they, they don't understand that price is determined at the margin. You know, like it's it's literally just based on the float. It's got nothing to do with the circulating supply.
1: All right but it's an easy metric to put out there and to look at to say hey point at it and say hey look at this we're doing good
0: yeah absolutely um, and it's really good for coins like ripple you know who print <laughs> 100 billion of their tokens and then yeah. pump the price up to $3 and
1: yeah and where it's even more pronounced is change that do utxo forks like bitcoin private um, bring it back to Nick Carter he did him and the coin metrics team sort of dove into how many coins were moved after that hard fork and uh, very few were moved, but it held an inflated market cap uh, again because the market was so illiquid um, that you really weren't weren't able to have true price discovery.
0: I I lied earlier when I told you that I don't have any altcoins. I actually have like six Bitcoin private that I mined um, (laughs) on on my NVIDIA. So I'm still holding out hope, you know, that Bitcoin private is the next Monero. (laughs) <laughs> don't support rats no, I'm not really there's like rat creating out there
1: <laughs> um, yeah it's uh, yeah it's interesting. That's, that's another thing like early on like we're only a decade in like how to even value and and benchmark these protocols and these these tokens we're still trying to figure that out like we don't even know how to properly uh, gauge and, and define like what these things are and how valuable they are and how much utility they are providing. Like we're still trying to figure out how to even measure that shit. And it's like a moving target. Like if we get Schnorr signatures in Bitcoin, that's going to fuck up a lot of like the MBT ratio and stuff like that. So we're trying to define these metrics and as Bitcoin's upgrading or, uh, changing at, at the protocol level we're sort of having to figure out new ways to, to, uh, measure this stuff on the go as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I I would actually make the argument that NPT will be completely useless anyway just because of lightning.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think Willy Woo's conceded that. He's onto uh he's onto creating more metrics now. Interesting.
0: Well, um only other thing, I was thinking uh just recently interviewed Chris Dannon. That was one of my favorite episodes that you've ever done on Tales from the Crypt. You guys kind of just crossed the whole gambit on like all of the interesting topics about Bitcoin and like society and finance. Um, one of my favorite episodes like. Thank you.
1: Chris is one of my favorite people to talk about Bitcoin with. I'm lucky to have him in New York and able to meet up with drinks with him every once in a while.
0: That's good. That's good. Yeah. It, I, you know, I, I, I want to just like reiterate like how, how optimistic Bitcoin has made me about the world because before I discovered it, um, I was kind of in a bad place about where, where the, all of this was going. I mean, you and I are about the same age. Um, it just doesn't bode well, you know, like, and, and I hope that our generation catches on sooner rather than later. Um,
1: I think they are. I'm not, not to Bitcoin in particular, but I do think there is a, a growing uh, sort of collective consciousness that things are, are not all right in the world. Um and, and people are starting to, to question the institutions and the systems with which they're brought up in. Um, Obviously, we have started questioning this a lot earlier, but I do think people are starting to realize, like, what the fuck is going on? Like, what situation do we get into? And that's, like, another big theme of Tales from the Crypt is trying to help people put themselves in the context of history. Like, you're just born, and you run, and you're fucking in the world, and, like, hey, this is the way the world works. Like, a lot of, very few people... Uh, unless you study history very, very intently, uh, are able to take a step back and, and put their current condition in context of all of history. And if you you do your research and read about history and sort of how we got to this point, the world we live in and the systems, particularly the monetary system, is is an anomaly uh, that's only been around for like forty or fifty years. So for if you're in your mid to late twenties, like you're born in late '80s, early '90s like you think you think the world just works that way you think the dollar is the dollar will be the reserve currency for all of time but uh history has proven that that that's not that dominance does not stay forever and then uh companies that or excuse me companies uh countries and municipalities or whatever collectives that get away from sound monetary policy tend to uh sort of spread themselves too thin and shoot themselves in the ass in the long run
0: yeah i you said in the bent I think it was like last week um that there's a growing palpable sense of uneasiness and dread you know all over the world
1: God I'm getting too de- I'm getting too depressing yeah
0: no it's like i said the nihilism is coming out but uh it, but it it really is true like every time you turn on the news like this country is rioting this country is falling apart these people are starving this disease just popped up like and like so many of the problems, so many of the and I know you believe this too, so many of the problems in the world today, we can trace back to the monetary systems. Like, and, and people a lot smarter than me have, have gone on about this, like Safe Dean talks a lot about it in uh, the Bitcoin Standard, but sound money is, is going to really bring a new, I hope, a resurgence of uh, renaissance thinking back to the world.
1: Right. Well, it's just natural. Like you can going back to time preference, we live in a world that's so high time preference. Like every company's uh, benchmarked on weekly, monthly, quarterly goals. They're never thinking years in advance. They're always thinking the next quarter. And then uh, on top of that, we have a situation here in America, in particular, where uh, your average citizen couldn't afford a four hundred dollar emergency. Like if if they needed uh needed to cover that cost, so it basically allows us to assume that people are working paycheck to paycheck, making money and spending it right away without the ability to save and then what uh bitcoin Tina when he said on my podcast was really resonated with me is like the the social fabric uh is sort of being torn at the fray, and he used the example of being able to to go to your grandparents to get a little loan if you had an idea uh, that that you wanted to pursue and Back in, back in the day, decades previous to this, it was, it was a very easy thing and very common thing to happen. And, and more recently, it's probably, I know, um, I probably won't be able to take a, a multi-thousand dollar loan out from my grandmother uh, or my parents. Um, and, and this is something that's, that's getting more pervasive. And, and again, that's why I said like a palpable sort of uneasiness in the world because people are literally living paycheck to paycheck, most people in the country. And it's no way to live. It's, you're stressed out constantly thinking about what bills you got to pay how much money you have in your bank account um uh just are you going to be able to cover uh your fundamental needs as a human like that is becoming a more pervasive question in our country in particular so that is fucked up and we would argue that bitcoin uh is a solution to this problem because it is a money that does not steal from you is an honest money so richard said uh, the fiat system that we live under the U S dollar in particular is uh, a dishonest money. It steals from people uh, every day. And I mean, this is just a fact we know that uh, as the monetary, uh, like the fed and other economists will try to tell you there's no inflation, but if you look around the amount of uh, the amount of like healthcare, schooling, uh, real estate, like prices, basically essential needs are skyrocketing. Like Again, I've said this multiple times too. These people are pissing on our face and telling us it's raining. Telling us it's raining. Like things are fucked up. But again, like I, I was very neat. Uh, I, I, apparently, I am still nihilistic, but I was very pessimistic back in the day. And then I do honestly believe that Bitcoin is a very optimistic common mission. And that's like one thing I notice with Bitcoiners in particular. We like you pick up with these people very innately and very very quickly because you. Already know that you have this sort of common mission, which is Bitcoin and making it successful. Um, and it has—it's given me purpose at least. I, I like to—I wake up every day and write about it. It's—it's—I uh, don't know. There's something about it. I don't know if we're crazy. Maybe we are, but there's just something about it that that has like a gravitational pull of energy and 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 mind share and and and, and economic investment. Um, so yeah, I think. Bitcoin's very optimistic. I'm optimistic, but it is. So that's the journey I'm on, is have helping people realize this and trying to make it approachable for everybody because it is very inapproachable, uh, I would argue, or it has been up to this point.
0: Yeah, I like to say that Bitcoin is the most down-to-earth group of eccentrics on the planet. Uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, the, you, you bring up a great point about the millennials and, and even worse, like, the generation after us. But I think it was Bloomberg that put out a report recently that one in five millennials expects to die in debt um, <laughs> because of their college loans and, like, be, just because of the nature of their, of their existence is so bleak. And Only they, don't, they have five. no way out. It's one optimistic. in five.
1: It's more optimistic than I was expecting. But, no, yeah. And it's... Uh, no, that's a weird thing. Like it, it, we're we're in this again, and it's pervasive through our society, where you're like told like this is what you need to do to be successful, and it just so happens that you need to go hundreds of thousands of dollars into debt before you turn twenty three to make that happen. Uh, for some cases, tens of thousands of dollars, in others.
0: Yeah, um, I was actually reading a research paper the other day about. Um, the off balance or off balance sheet liabilities that the U S government has. And the vast majority of them are like guarantees of social safety nets, things like FDIC, social security, um, Dude, mortgage security, quick. all those types of things. It's, it's in like the hundred of hundreds of, tri- it's like hundred, close to a hundred trillion in off balance sheet liabilities.
1: It's yeah. And like, that's another thing we need to get people to start realizing, like, especially, kids our age, like we're never going to see social security. We're never going to see any of these benefits. Like you are drunk if you think that we're ever going to see any of the social security that we're contributing. Um, and But it's scary, man. there's like uh, Alexandria ocasio cortez is out there openly shilling for socialism, which I would argue has got us to this point. like people like to deride capitalism, but I would argue we haven't lived in a truly capitalistic system in years. like the amount of subsidies is 2008. The biggest socialist move in the world. We fucking bailed out the banks to the tune of like $2.3 trillion. Like, that's not socialism. I don't know what it is. So, uh, a lot of people are confused and looking for answers, and there's a lot of people leading them the wrong way in the mainstream, I would argue. Politicians pushing for socialism. Like, look at Venezuela. The fact that these conversations are even coming up here in America as the situation in Venezuela is going on in parallel is actually its dumbfounded. Like, how people could think any of these ideas are good. But there's a lot of people buying into this shit, man, and uh, it's like I say I'm optimist, but that's like something that scares me. Is that uh, my biggest worry about Bitcoin's long term success is apathy? People just don't care. Um, they they want to hide their, they sort of want to put their head in the sand and put their fingers in the ears and say, ah, oh, no, this works. This is working fine, um, and uh maybe people will never see the the benefit of sound money i'm optimistic they will but that is my my bearish case for bitcoin is, is apathy
0: yeah yeah it's funny to go back and look like four or five years ago and see what all the the so-called liberals you know in the united states all the politicians on the left were saying about uh maduro oh and his socialism God. you know like they were like, oh this is the best thing i've ever seen like this is great this is how it should be done
1: most recent is twenty thirteen. I think. Yeah. Um and, it, and that's the other crazy thing. Like, it just happens quickly. Like it's you don't realize you're in the shit until the tipping points happen and you're in the shit. Um, again, I talked about this I don't know if I talked about it on air Chris. I know we talked about it. I think it might have been off air, but we both had uh Russian influences early in our life. Uh Chris had a neighbor, his parents were from Soviet Russia. I had a boss who, who was from Soviet Russia and both my boss had immigrated to the US his neighbors had immigrated to the US and both separately gave us warnings like watch out for this shit like the the stuff is slowly but surely turning into the Soviet Russia we, re- we ran away from um, and the example my boss Dmitri used in particular was TSA like he talks about moving to the states in the early 90s. And the sense of freedom he felt when he walked through the the airport, he cried. it was like so liberating just to be able to walk without being watched or anything like that and he in two thousand twelve looked me dead in the eyes. I was like Marty, like this is slowly, but surely reminding me of Soviet Russia. It's happening slowly, slower than people notice, but this is not good this is not a good sort of path that we're going down here um so that's like another even on top of Bitcoin, like we have to sort of fight for the ideals of liberty capitalism and and freedom um which a lot of people are openly back or fighting against in the u.s mainstream at least
0: yeah yeah that's uh yeah that's heavy stuff yeah i think you did actually bring that up with chris i think i remember you mentioning that and i i would even go so far as to make the argument that like and and this is not financial advice and i i do think that you should have like Uh, emergency fund in cash, you know, protect yourself for like at least six months out. You should, that's like just good financial prudence. I would argue that my Bitcoin that I have like in cold storage is safer than the money in my bank account. Because if there was like runs on the banks and FDIC ran out like overnight, which it did, which it can, because it's bankrupt. Like it's, it's one giant debt pool, just like everything else in America. That money is gone. Like it's, it just doesn't exist anymore. It's already been spent. It's been lent out to other people. My Bitcoin is still there. It, It can't there There's no fractional reserve you know like it's it's the only like sure thing that I have to cling to in terms of like finance no
1: that's my favorite quote from uh the Bitcoin standard is Bitcoin provides the only objective set of truths in the world right now, and that truth just so happens to be how much of the system that you have staked uh, via your private key um now and I wholeheartedly agree like you can run around naked with millions of dollars in my head uh. It's a lot safer than than Wells Fargo, I would argue. That's a, a powerful thought. Naked yeah. Marty
0: running around with millions of dollars in his head.
1: Nobody wants to see that, but it is a, it is a thought experiment.
0: Maybe that'll be the next bet after this upcoming bet with Rod.
1: Ooh, ooh, streaking bet. I like this. I like this. Put it in the docket. I'll bring it up.
0: All right. So, where can people find you where can they follow you where can they find tales from the crypt and anything else you want to plug
1: yeah um at marty bent on twitter that's where i hang out most i'm a, a have a very savage addiction to twitter it's actually bad um that's where that's where i'm at mostly uh the newsletter marty's bent you can go to marty'sbent.com and sign up there uh, i repost on twitter every day as well and then Tales from the Crypt you can find it on any uh, any podcasting platform that, that you're used so i blast be blasted out to like 12 so there's a good chance that your your local podcast provider has tales from the Crypt on it. Um, we syndicate that through anchor.fm which has been a great service for me uh, for the last six months it's a really cool new podcasting platform that I'm liking so we blast it out from there uh, if you want to go check out anchor as well um, and then yeah, so Matt and I are putting out the rabbit hole recap every week. I'm trying to line up interviews with interesting people and um yeah, I got some plans to build some stuff this year, hopefully. In the next few months I'll have some more information on that, but um yeah, you can find me on Twitter mostly.
0: What about the bent? What if people want to subscribe to your newsletter?
1: Yeah, marty'sbent.com. Um M A R T Y S B E N T.com. That'll that'll send you to uh the sign up page and then I have the link in my Twitter bio as well if you want to check it there.
0: Fantastic. All right, Marty, thanks so much for coming on man. hopefully we can do this again sometime.
1: Definitely, Colin. It's been a pleasure, man. Appreciate it.
0: Likewise.